Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello and welcome to the Stem Cells at Lunch podcast. Um, My name is Bebe. I'm one of the PhD students here at the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine. And I'm very lucky here today to be interviewing my supervisor and the head of the centre, Professor Fiona Watt. So I'll let Fiona introduce herself. So um, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you've come to do what you do today? Uh, Well, thank you for interviewing me. I uh, trained as a cell biologist and from my postdoctoral research, I became very interested in stem cells and uh, over the years, I've worked in different places, but in 2012, I moved to King's College London, um, and there were a number of motivations there. The, the most important was to be um, in an environment where there could be a good uh, mix of clinical and non-clinical research, so in other words, in uh, a hospital, uh, and also uh, good facilities to stimulate research and an openness to engage with um, different types of companies. Uh, Everything was going pretty much according to plan, shall we say, Mm -hmm. uh, until uh, April 2018, where I became seconded to run the Medical Research Council. Uh, This is quite a big job, um, and it's uh, these are very exciting and uncertain times. So uh, I feel that uh, my current situation was not was not planned but it's exciting and in terms of you know getting to where you are now um, what do you think have been the factors that have been most critical to your success because you are probably one of the most successful scientists in the UK I would say that I have certain personality traits which definitely affect where I am now so one thing is that I've always been a scientist. Everything I do is really hardwired into that uh, scientific mindset. Um, I have a terrible tendency to say yes when I should say no. Um, And I'm certainly not risk averse. Um, If I feel the situation is not optimal for what I'm trying to achieve at a particular phase in my career, I will um, not be frightened to explore other situations. So I think those are personality traits, if you like, and they've definitely uh, affected the way I have, um, the, the, the way that my career has evolved. It's interesting that you brought up personality traits as your factors critical for success, because I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think of things that way. And you actually have to be quite self-aware to identify your own personality traits that will be useful and cultivate them. I completely agree with that. I I think I've been thinking about that uh, much more in the last year or two, and that has really been triggered by sorting through um, belongings of my late parents and my late aunt and coming across photographs from many years ago which show the different upbringings they had and their different, um, I I suppose, their journey uh, that got them to the point where they were parents. Another thing that I think is very important is to understand where you're from culturally. So when I was a young scientist, um, the mood was very much, um, 
you know, scientists should be atheists, there's no evidence for God, this would be Richard Dawkins, the blind mm-hmm. watchmaker. But if we want to make science more inclusive, I think understanding where you're from culturally, even if you have no religious faith, I think that you have a richer experience and you definitely have better interactions uh, amongst scientists if you um, if you acknowledge where you're coming from. I, I truly think that's important. And speaking of, you know, your background and different experiences, how did you find being a female scientist at a time when perhaps there were fewer female scientists, particularly in positions of leadership, as a young scientist, you know, progressing through her career? Yeah, I think it's... Um, there have been times when it's been very difficult. Um, being the only woman in the room on many occasions, um, it's the classic thing where you would say something and then a man would repeat it and, and everybody would agree with that. Um, to me, that's unacceptable now. And I really refuse to be the only woman in the room unless the total number of participants is five or fewer. Um, in those early days, the thing that really kept me going was um, my close friendship with a number of American women scientists who are actually quite older than me. And mm. that opportunity to download, uh, to share intelligence about um, senior male scientists who were behaving in really inappropriate manners was important. And being willing from an early age to stand up and speak out when I thought things were wrong. The thing that I am a bit concerned about now is that um, there's a lot to be done, but I'm not so sure about um, all female gatherings where decisions are made or opinions expressed about uh, scientists because then we risk essentially repeating the whole cycle only now it's women only behind closed doors so I I don't know where we're going because there's a lot to be done yet but my priorities are to call out bad behavior get some sort of um, uh, institutional or uh, support or get funders together to have uh, ways of dealing with um, miscreants because it happens all the time. But I would like a better balance uh, in the relationships between senior men and women to make sure that it's more holistic. So I was just thinking about the ways in which you dealt with things in the past. So I don't know if you've read the book Lean In by Cheryl Sandberg. Oh, yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) What did Talk about Lean In. Mm. I think it's the only book that I have ever taken a highlighter pen to. (laughs) And in particular, the chapter on mentoring is absolutely superb. But to go back to my own situation, I think it, it, I just have always felt strongly motivated to say what I think. I've never been frightened to stand up to people. And it certainly got me into caused me a lot of grief in several points in my career where I've gone up against, um, in each case, a male scientist who I thought was behaving in the wrong way to more junior staff. Mm -hmm. And I quite understand why you would want to keep quiet. Mm -hmm. And by far the most painful aspect of those interactions was not um, the grief that I got, but that there were many male colleagues who knew what was happening 
and would not stand up. Mm. So being complicit, I think, is is almost as bad as being the perpetrator of this sort of behaviour. Mm. And, you know, looking forward, how do you think that people who work in the sciences can help support women in science? Well, I, I, I think that there are um, a number of different ways that um, we can support women in science. Having more women in science is a huge step forward. Um, helping women understand the routes to career progression uh, and realising that you can carve your own career on your own terms, I think is good. Um, but I would really like um, to make sure that the sort of um, bullying and harassment um, where, in general, in my opinion, HR departments of organisations have every incentive to sweep the problem under the carpet, make mm. it go away. I would really, if we could change that, it would be good. And uh, one thing that is worth flagging up is that um, a few years ago with the New York Stem Cell Foundation, we uh, recommended that uh, when an institution supports um, scientists to apply for a grant, they provide a, a scorecard of how they're doing on gender equality. Um, we were able to do that because the New York Stem Cell Foundation is uh, uh, quite small, it's quite new, um, but they recently published in Cell Stem Cell an evaluation of over a thousand of these scorecards. Mm. And um, actually, there's some good practice, some bad practice, but having that evidence out there or, and a way for other funders to react and say, yes, we want to do that, or no, that's not appropriate for us, we want to do something else. These kind of pathfinder projects, I think, is important. So... Slight change of subject, but with maybe more of your MRC hat on, um, and also because I'm interested as a clinician, um, what do you think are the major themes in medical research in the next five to ten years? Well, I would like to say um, advanced therapies, whether cells, genes, um, nucleic acids combined with lipids or proteins. I mean, that the, that is my huge personal interest. I'm also, as you know, involved in uh, the Human Cell Atlas. I think having a map of all of the cells in the body is very important because historically um, you will go and see one kind of doctor if you've got a pain in your knee and a different kind of doctor if you have a persistent headache. But as we understand the cells in the body and in particular the different kinds of immune cells which uh, can circulate throughout the tissues, we should have a radical understanding of disease. I've also um, noticed that the, the clinicians um, are often very numerate and very quick to adopt um, tools for analysing quite complex data sets. Um, and I think that the applications of AI and a simulation of health data in different forms and practical applications, I think that that's going to be fantastic for the future. I'm really excited about that. Great. Well, I will let us wrap up now because you've got a talk to do. Um, thank you very much for the interview and um, I hope you tune in again to Stem Cells at Lunch. Mm -hmm.